Hi game devs and welcome to Indie Therapy. What an awesome new jingle, isn't it? It has been made by Idlejean, you can find its contact info in the description. Thanks again to him for the great job. This week's guest is Ian Garner, co-founder of Another Indie, an indie game publisher. He talked about how to get published as an indie developer, differences between European and Asian games, and his struggle to get a PS5. Enjoy! Hello Ian, how are you? I'm very good, Valentin, how are you? I'm fine, I'm fine. So to introduce you in a nutshell, you're co-founder of Another Indie, uh, an indie game publishing company active both in open China, which has uh, helped titles like Ubi Psycho, which success. And uh, so I start with a question for listeners to know you better. What is your first memory with video games? Oh man. Um... I think probably my first strong memory with video games was when I was a kid. We were uh, we were not a wealthy family, um, so we had a old black and white tuning TV. You know, the the thing that you looked had to like tune into the channel. Yeah. And and my mum's friend had uh, given us a master system. So my first like real memory is me on my own setting up this master <laughs> system onto this old tuning TV and having to figure out how to put the aerials in and all of this stuff and then playing Sonic the Hedgehog in black and white. Like, I had no idea Sonic the Hedgehog was blue um, until, <laughs> like, you know, a few months later when I finally set it up downstairs. I was like, I remember being like, oh, he's blue, and <laughs> which, of course, is a, a really weird uh, situation to be in. Uh, first, we'll talk about uh, how to get accepted by a publisher for game devs that are listening to us. Uh, so, first question for those that don't know precisely what is a publisher: what are your missions? Um, well, so another indie's mission has always been to get the best games available to the most people, regardless of language or geography. Um, so we work with um, a lot of companies from developing nations um, and from places with a more poorer infrastructure, let's say, where it's uh, much harder for them to create and develop games. So we work with a lot of companies in those regions to help them get their games and put them onto a, a global market. Okay, but I mean, uh, do you do, what are your um, services, if I can use this oh, term? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, um, so we kind of do as much as we can so the developers can focus on the coding of the game. Uh, so we work with them on marketing. We work with them on localization. We help out with QA. We help out with um, financial management. I do a lot of project management as well. A lot of our developers have got a good idea how to make a game, but they don't really know how to do anything outside of that. So I'll sit down with them and make sure that their development schedules line up with a marketing schedule schedule, line up with social media beats and, and all of that boring stuff that, you know, people don't really want to uh, put a lot of time into. That That's my job. I, I like to say that we're like the uh, we're like the, the, the meat and the gristle. We're not the nice, pretty face, but we're the stuff that makes the face work. Okay. 
so as an aspiring developer, there's a question I must ask uh, for all those uh, who listen to us. Uh, what would be your advice to so that uh, game dev is uh, published by you, by your competitors? Because I see a lot of game devs struggling uh, with uh, getting accepted by publishers uh, uh, in the in the industry. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that um, the, the easiest thing to do to start with is just to um, sit down and do a little bit of research. Um, you know, myself and pretty much every other publisher out there have got Twitter and Facebook, and we actually talk about this a lot. You know, because mm -hmm. one of the, the the first question we're always asked is, um, you know, oh, how do I get my game published, or what should I do to make that easier? So we always, we kind of have put together like quite a lot of information and data about that kind of thing, um, but it does require, you know, some looking. I think the first thing to, to do for an indie publisher in particular is to have something playable. Um, you know, for indie publishers, we rarely fund ideas. It's more about funding something that's actually got some kind of concrete uh, playable build that we can see and we can experience what it is that you're trying to, to build, even if it is a smaller variation of that. Um, having a very good uh, playable and having a very good understanding of your game and ability to express it are probably the two most important things. The number of people that I have meetings with who, uh, the minute I say like, oh, describe your game, and they just struggle because they've never really, mm. you know, they, in their heart, they have an idea of what this game is, but they've maybe never sat down and written out what the game is or thought about how to explain the game to somebody else. And that's a pretty big problem because if you can't explain it to me, how do I explain it to other people? Um, yeah, sure. and that's a big part of my job. So I think those are the two first steps that until you have got, until you're like very comfortable with those first steps, you're probably going to struggle to find a indie publisher who's able to sign on. Okay. Thanks. It's a uh, great advice. So it will be useful. And, uh, what is the cost of a publisher for a game developer? I guess it's, uh, shares from the, from uh, the sales of the game and uh, how much are you generally asking? It really, it. I can talk in general. Um, it um, it depends on a lot of different factors. Um, you know, for example, if a game comes to us with um, without the need for funding, um, but they have an incredible game and they want assistance with marketing and. Uh, publishing on the platforms and you know but everything but so a big chunk of it is actually done and they don't need money up front then we're talking mm. at the lower end of the scale so that's normally around 30 percent um okay. that's that's after the platform takes their cut so it actually works out to be like 21 percent of the total and then um but if there's like really high funding requirements, if we if they want our assistance in porting the game to Nintendo Switch, then the, that number can go up. And it can even be different from platform to platform. You know, for example, if we sign a game and the PC version, they're doing it themselves, but the Switch version they want my team to work on, then obviously we're going to be taking a higher percentage from the Switch version. 
Um, oops, sorry. Eight. <laughs> Dogs. <laughs> um, so what, what services do you offer marketing-wise specifically? So you talked about... Uh, QA and localization, but um, for what what concrete uh, um, actions, marketing actions, did you, for example, for your Peep Psycho, uh, which has been uh, praised by critics uh, such as uh, Polygon and Vice? Yeah, I mean, well, with Yuppie Psycho, it was uh, very much trying to get people to play the full game. Um, so we made sure that we we gave the game um, with plenty of notice. So I think we actually sent the game to press uh, nearly two months before we actually launched the game. So the game was technically finished two months before we launched it. But the reason why we did that was because we were so confident that this game was top tier Um, that we needed press to play it and review it uh, because we knew that it's a, it's a niche game, right? You know, it's a pixel yeah. art survival horror without combat. Um, it's very dark. It's very funny. It's very weird and creepy. So the only way to get a game like that out into the world is through word of mouth and through people actually spreading it. You know, it's not going to have... Um, It's not going to have a trailer that blows you away like Valhalla or, you know, even something like like Dusk or, um, oh, I'm trying to think of other indie hits and my brain's gone blank. But you know what I mean? It's not going to have that same level of like visual impact that a lot of games can have. But the writing is incredible. The gameplay is fantastic. It's a really incredible game. So we gave people enough time to experience it before we launched the game so that there was enough people out there ready to say how awesome that game was. Um, and that worked really well. The other thing we did as well was we utilized our community. So another indie actually has one of the, uh, the, the most vibrant gaming communities on discord. So if you ever, if you ever want to check out discord.gg slash AI, you will find our discord and it's got, just thousands of great people in it um chatting about games sharing information playing games with each other and not just our games but just games in general okay. and what we did with yuppie psycho is we actually created like a uh, like like a game within the discord um based in the yuppie psycho universe there was like almost like a role-playing game with a point system built in based on commands and tags So people got super into it, you know, like we had, we, the whole discord was divided into teams and they were memeing the shit out of each other. And like, it was really, it was just, but they got so into it. And so they were so into it that when we launched the game, just loads of them went out and bought the game just so they could almost like have that next level of knowledge about what they were just going through. And like, that was a really exciting, uh, that was a really exciting moment. How much copies did it sell, and do you know what marketing action worked best? 
Um, I can't go into specifics on numbers, but I can say that, you know, it's it's made money and the developers are working on the next projects and we're very happy with it. And we just released the uh, the DLC a few weeks ago with the uh, and with the executive edition of Yuppie Psycho, which added like three or four hours of content totally for free for everyone who owns the game. So the game's doing doing great and it's available on Switch now. I should say that buy on Switch as well or instead of. Um, and so it's done really well. The best marketing action, Yuppie Psycho is a really weird one because once we launched that game, it took a life of its own. Um, you know, we did a really good job of preparing it. You know, we, we showed it at the conventions. We got the wish lists up. We made sure that there was a decent base for the game's arrival. But really, the game sold itself. Um, once the game came out, there were enough bass players playing it and people were just, they were just loving it. They were just loving it. So they went on and told their friends and their communities and it all, and they just pulled more and more people in. I think, you know, um, your launch is the most important part of your game's life cycle. Cause if you have a bad launch, the chances of recovering from that are really, really small. Uh, but if you have a good launch, and you have a good game, then you have a really good chance of it just building the momentum and just consistently pulling in more people all the time. I mean, Yuppie Psycho has a 95 or 96% positive rating on Steam, you know, after nearly two years, which is very unusual, you know, very, very unusual with how critical the Steam audience is. So we're, we're just really proud with how uh, how it's gone but i think that the best thing we did was probably the community building because it meant that when we launched the game there was already a passionate group of people who were excited to play and i think that makes a big difference and what did you do precisely to build the community I mean, we do a lot of different things, you know, we do, we, we, we do posts on Reddit. We've got pretty active social media across the board. Um, so but what we do is we use discord as like a funnel. So we have like Twitter and Reddit and TikTok and whatever else. And all of it kind of puts people into discord. So that's kind of a, that's kind of our basic plan is that if we can get people interested enough to click the button, if we can get them into our Discord and keep them within our community, then that's more valuable than almost anything else. Um, the big problem with uh, with social media is that it's so ephemeral. You know, like you 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 can post something, it goes viral today, but tomorrow everyone's forgotten it existed. Um, so, you know, like the, the number, you know, every day, every day I go on Twitter and see a tweet for an amazing game that I've never heard of every day. And so when you when you times that over years and remember, games take two or three years. So sometimes you're seeing something that's not going to come out for another two years. By the time it actually launches, I've long since stopped thinking about that game. So for me, the main thing isn't using social media as a way to sell the game directly. It's about using it as a way to get the people who are genuinely positive, po genuinely passionate into the community. And then they become a part of the community. And whether they buy the game or not, it's not as important as them being 
kind of a part of something that they enjoy being a part of because they will then bring more people in and some of them will buy, some of them won't buy, some of them will join the competition, some of them won't, some of them will play the open beta, some of them, but it just creates this kind of engine that works for, for everyone. So we're going to switch topics and now talk about uh, gaming in Europe and Asia, if you want to. So, since you're covering both uh, continents, do you see major differences between Asian and European games? Oh yeah, I mean, there's a, you've got you've got to remember that you know, kind of like any culture, um, gaming culture is different depending on the regions that you're in. Um, people just have different experiences. You know, I mean, I actually started another indie in China and. Um, China has, I think, probably one of the most radically different gaming cultures because for the vast majority of gamers in China, their first gaming device was a mobile phone. Um, whereas in, in, in the, let's, I, I hate the phrase the West, but, you know, where I'm thinking of, like Europe and America, most people who um, have their, you know, gaming experiences or at least people my age had their gaming experiences on consoles or PCs or something like that. Um, so that's just led to an entirely different concept of everything. Like, you know, like what a game's value is, how a game should be played, how it should be enjoyed, how it should be, you know, even just things like save game functionality and things like that. have just got people just have a totally different understanding of, Um, and so I think having like a, a pretty good knowledge of, of, of that is, is, is really important when you're uh, working with uh, developers around the world. I mean, a, a good example of this is um, with a game we just launched, Vigil, um, really incredible game that's selling incredibly well right now. Um, so with Vigil, when we signed the game, um, the artwork is gorgeous, beautiful artwork. Um, But one of the things the developers had was they had every single enemy had a little red health bar over their head. And that is a very Asia thing to do. Like it's a very, th it's a, something that's very, very, very popular here. But for me, it took me out of it. Like this glorious, beautiful 2D ha artwork that just sung. And then these kind of red bars floating everywhere i so so in the end we uh we, we we took them out but we put the option to, to for people to put them back in if they want to um and we saw kind of exactly what we expected to see which is that a lot of asian players put it back in but almost everyone else did not um it's uh so so you know having an understanding of like okay this design decision that to me looks really strange well there is a logic behind it there is a culture behind it and we need to figure out a way to to respect and engage with that not just overrule it i think is really important and what about your relationship with game development teams are there somewhat different between uh, european and asian developers i think honestly it's different between every company Like, you know, almost every developer or studio I meet has a different process. So I don't see so many diff, I don't see so much a difference in region and that as I see a difference in just individual studios. Um, there's, there are some differences, especially in China. China tends to have a very kind of top down, um, mentality, you know, so like there's somebody in charge. 
and that has positives and negatives. Um, whereas in um, most of the, the companies that we work with, like from say like Brazil is a good example or um, uh, Spain, like you Cycle, they have a much flatter structure where, you know, everybody chips in and everybody kind of has a more kind of collaborative approach. But both sides have their, their pros and cons, you know, like on the European side, everything takes ages. Whereas on the Chinese side, everything's done very quickly. But on the European side, there's, there's so many people talking that often issues are spotted earlier. Whereas on the Chinese side, an issue can linger for longer because one person doesn't see that issue. So there's... You know, I think that's probably the biggest one. But as a general rule, I think um, there's much more difference between individual games companies than there are between the regions. Asian Southeast Asia reported that you were giving free calls on Wednesday during November to help Asian developers thrive. Uh, how did that go? Yeah, um, really well. I mean, I think so far um, every slot has been filled up except one where the guy cancelled at the last moment. Um, so, yeah, that's been great. Um, it's been really good for me because I've got to meet a lot of people and seen some really incredible games. And, yeah, I, it's been a very impressive uh, very impressive group of people who have reached out to me. Um, and I, I, I intend on just keeping that going after November. I don't think I'm going to stop it um, at the end of November. I think I'm just going to let it roll. That's good to hear. Uh, I'll put the link of the article or of your calendar in, um, in the description of the episode. So I I believe you uh, studied in Aberdeen, Scotland, and now you live in in Taiwan. Uh, what's expat life like for an European? I mean, I like it. I mean, the weather takes a bit of getting used to because we're just not used to warm winters. So that that you know that's that's always tricky, especially coming from Scotland. You know, I got very used to things being cold a, a significant amount of the time. Um, But, you know, I, I moved to China when I was uh, just about to turn 21. I think I, I think I moved to China one month before my 21st birthday. Um, and then I never went back. You know, I went back to visit, but I, I haven't lived in the UK um, since I was 21. And I'm now, oh, maybe a little bit later than that. Uh, something like that. But I'm, I'm, now, uh, I'm now in my 30s. So I've just been here you know, most of my adult life, you know, I was, I was a kid when I arrived. So I, I, I think at this point, if, and when I return, that's going to be much harder than, you know, actually being here because I think the reverse culture shock is going to be more of a shock than anything else. And finally, if you had a magic wand and could have anything you want for one year, what would you ask for? I could have everything I want for one year. I'd quite like a PlayStation 5, if I'm honest. Like, <laughs> like, I've been trying really hard to get a PlayStation 5, and I've failed miserably. So we've got one coming to the office next week, I think. We've finally managed to get one for the office. Um, but I'm kind of gutted. I've been looking forward. I was, I'm so gutted that I went out and bought myself a uh, Top of the range gaming PC is like, uh, well, if Sony doesn't want my money, I'll spend it on something else. Um, 
<laughs> but I really, I really want a PlayStation Five. <laughs> you have to wait a little while, but I'm sure you will get one. Not worry. <laughs> one day. <laughs> Actually, I think it's the most surprising answer I've had so far to this question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the most most commonplace one as well. Like you know, very very uninspired. <laughs> Thanks again for accepting my invitation and I wish you the best for the next games you will publish. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you again. All right. Uh, yeah, no, thank you so much. This has been really fun. And, um, you know, if any of your, uh, if any of your listeners do have more questions, they can find me on Twitter with, uh, um, at Neon Ian. So that's N E O N I A I N. Um, my DMs are open and I'm very friendly. So if you have questions that you don't want to ask publicly or you just want a little bit of guidance or some feedback on something, I am always happy to help. And if you want to join an awesome gaming community, discord.gg slash AI. They're the nicest people that you're ever likely to meet. And I pop in at least once a day just to say hello and uh, have a look at the memes. Thanks again. And I'll tweet Sunny to send you a PS5 box. Appreciate it. <laughs> Hustling. <laughs> See you soon. See you soon. Thank you very much, Valentin. Goodbye. That's it for today. Please subscribe to the channel, follow my Twitter account, and don't hesitate contacting Ian on his personal account to book a meeting with him. See you in two weeks.